Welcome back to One Book That Changed My Life, where entrepreneurs and experts share one book and the life-changing principles they applied. If you love that flash, that spark of inspiration when a great idea just leaps off the page at you, but you don't have time for all the amazing books you run across, then this podcast is designed for you. In each episode, you'll discover business books, past and present, that are changing the lives of people just like you and come away with insights you can put into action right now. So let's jump into the latest book. Everybody, welcome back to One Book That Changed My Life. I'm super excited because not only we're we talking to a fantastic guest like we always do, but we're actually talking about one of my favorite books as well. So we're talking about psycho-cybernetics. Our guest is Deborah Ager. She's a book coach uh, and really helps people focus on finding and sharpening and refining the right ideas until they are striking. And as she puts it, anti-boring, which I love because there's way too many books in the world that are boring. And let's not produce any more of those. Let's only focus on the ones that really produce and put out uh, powerful breakthrough ideas into the world. And what's interesting, and Deborah, obviously you know this because you you coach people on how to do this, but you can have a really powerful idea and one that has a lot of potential. But if it's buried within not even just a poorly written book, it can be a well-written book, but the but the wrong book or a book that's written in the wrong way, or even a book that just tries to communicate too many different ideas. There's just there's a lot of ways to screw that up. Uh, and so having someone that's an experienced coach that's guided somebody else through the process over and over and over and over again is something that a lot of people in the audience will find really valuable. So we'll get into Deborah's, you know, uh, little her unique perspective on books a little bit later, uh, and also a way that you can get in touch with her. She runs a roundtable that you might want to get involved in. She also does uh, a live show on LinkedIn that we can talk about. So there's a bunch of stuff to get into. But first of all, Deborah, officially welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And yeah. as you can probably guess, I love books. So I'm excited to talk about books with you. <laughs> I know. There's there's nothing quite like a physical book. We were joking before we hit record uh, that you've also kind of gotten into ordering the vintage copies off of places like A Books. And I like thrift books and both A Books. Uh, both you use those a lot. Uh, I love getting the old copies of older books. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, Psycho-Cybernetics is one where even my my mentor, I think when he talked about this book, he specifically said, go get the one from the 60s and not get the one that was updated by Dan Kennedy, like in the 90s and 2000s. He's like, it's, it's basically has a bunch of extra material you don't need. So sometimes it actually does really matter. You know, editions do matter. So, all right. So tell me a little bit before we jump into kind of where you're at when you came across the book and all that fun stuff. Uh, tell us... Um, Tell us what you're doing now with clients and maybe a fun, unique project that you worked on for a client recently. Oh, sure. Well, I help leaders become authors by guiding them through the process of creating their books. So they either come to me with the content already done, not already done, but already gathered, mm -hmm. and they need some help with the development of it or the structure of it. And... Um, and then I help them, you know, I guide them through creating that manuscript. Um, and where I was when this book first came in to my life, I'd been running my business for a few years. Mm -hmm. And then around that time, my dad had passed away. So I, was, I took it pretty hard and I was yeah. feeling kind of blah. And I was going to, I was spending a lot of time outside because it was very relaxing um, during the summer. And so I was talking to a friend and he had told me about psychocybernetics and how much he had benefited from it as he made a switch um, in his life. So that piqued my interest and got me interested in the book. Okay. So you're running your business at that point. Uh, so it was more on the personal side that you were having having some issues. What what was the um, 
you mentioned that you were in marketing for a long time before that, just so people kind of understand your background, where you're bringing marketing perspective into the book writing process. What type of, what, like, what were you doing in the marketing world beforehand? What did you enjoy about it? Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Oh, sure. I worked in digital marketing for many years. So I managed um, what are called pay-per-click campaigns like Google AdWords, Yahoo, Bing advertising, as well as search engine optimization for a very large nonprofit. And I did that kind of work for a long time. And I wanted to make a switch at some point. And I'd always wanted to have a business. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do when I first um, when I first left my job to start my business. I decided to become a marketing consultant because that's what I knew the best. And somewhere in there, I began talking with someone, an agency owner for, um, uh, he had a content marketing agency, digital marketing agency. He liked it that I understood digital marketing. He liked it that I had writing experience. And he said, would you like to work with me on creating my book? And of course I said, no, right? It's just like Star Wars or any other story where like the person says no at first to whatever the adventure is. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually they say yes. So we uh, we began to work on his book together and it was a fabulous process. It's it's It informed and helped me develop the process that I use to this very day. And it helped him to get the clients he needed to keep his agency running, which was really exciting to hear about. So that's when I began to realize, hey, these books, you know, working on books for people who run businesses or who are leaders inside corporations, it really helps them to establish themselves. If they're a business owner, it helps them to get more clients, um, helps them get more speaking engagements and whatnot. And so it was really gratifying to see my clients have those kinds of successes. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I mean, books have a fabulous effect. I was just doing, um, uh, working on something for an upcoming YouTube channel and talking about how podcasts and books work together and feed feed off of one another and how you can use them in combinations in interesting ways. Um, most of my clients in the podcast space either have a book or will at some point. Um, and for the few that don't, I keep telling them like, hey, the more the more solo episodes you do, you're basically recording book chapters in advance that you can just have someone go transcribe. And then you've got tens of thousands of words to start with. And then you can go hire someone like Deborah to, to kind of refine that, start putting that into um, into more of a manuscript. So yeah, there's there's really, there's a, there's a lot of fun and, and synergy basically, which I, I hate that word, but it actually does in this case mean the right thing, which is one plus one equals three. So yeah, all of, all of the people in my world um, are either writing books already or will soon. So, uh, so you're in this time where the business is fine. You've kind of you've refined what you're doing. You went from consulting to actually kind of running your own your own coaching business. So you've got that stuff figured out. We've got personal adversity, right? Which thank God I don't have, you know, I can't relate to that yet. My dad's still around. He and I are super close. So yes, if something happened, I would be an absolute wreck. And this is when you come across psychocybernetics. So what was the big idea that still sticks out to you today? Well, you know, as anyone who, if anyone's ever lost anyone, they'll know what it feels like. It feels horrible. And sometimes everyone reacts to it differently. Some people don't want to do anything. Some people start to do everything or to massively change their lives. So the one thing about grief is that you just never know how you're going to feel or how you'll react to it. So for me, I was more on like the blah side of not really wanting to do much of anything. So, but I realized that that couldn't continue. Uh, indefinitely. So I kind of pulled myself together. And I actually took this trip um, about a month after he passed away. I already had plans for it. So I just kept it. And I was going to meet with some ghostwriters in Washington State um, to go on a ghostwriting retreat to learn more about the business of ghostwriting. So that was that was great. 
And it was somewhere around that time or maybe a little bit after that, um, uh, I don't know, somewhere in there, I, I don't know the exact dates anymore, but this book um, just kind of helped me see some possibilities and helped me see that, okay, yeah, I can, I can, you know, um, kind of get back into the groove of things and make things work and that our brains have a lot of the power, of course, to help us do this. Because like you were saying before we started to record, um, you know, we have this within us yeah. to be successful, to, you know, do what we set out to do. And it's a matter of having that certain type of mindset um, in order to make that happen. Yes. Yeah. The, the, you, you and I were interesting because the same thing <laughs> stood out to both of us which was the success mechanism that essentially, uh, okay, so here's how he puts it into the book. The so-called subconscious mind is not a mind at all, but a mechanism, a goal-striving servo mechanism that consists of the brain and nervous system, which is used and directed by the mind. It is impersonal. All you have to do is present it with success goals and it functions as a success mechanism. If you present it with negative goals and it operates just as impersonally and just as faithfully as a failure mechanism, and yeah, that like that hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, when I, cause you and I, it turns out read it around the same time. We're thinking somewhere around 2017, 2018, something like mm -hmm. that. And yeah, it, it helped me get through a lot of, um, head trash, uh, you know, from my, my upbringing and stuff like that, limiting beliefs that I had. And, uh, it helped me to see that essentially I, I had this thing in my subconscious that I could direct it at success. It wasn't going to be perfect. It was still going to be like a heat seeking missile, this kind of zigzag towards success, which that's a super helpful kind of visualization because you're all, I think you're always bothered by that, that sneaking suspicion that you're, you're not quite on track. And that kind of helped you help me to realize that, Hey, you're always, you're always a little off track. The point is you correct and you just keep correcting. And, and the overall line is where you want to go. So when you put that in perspective with with loss, um, essentially that helped you get back to a place where you felt like you could start putting one foot in front of the other. It didn't have to feel perfect, didn't have to feel great, but it got you back back into action again. Is, is how I hear that. Does that does that resonate? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And just knowing, you know, something he wrote that I really liked is he said, you know, he wrote this. I'm more convinced than ever that what each of us really wants deep down. It's more life. And then he emphasizes life. Mm. And he says that that can include happiness, success, peace of mind, or whatever your own conception of supreme good may be. And he says it's experienced in its essence as more life. So I love that because, you know, if you're a consultant, a coach, some other business owner, you know, if you're working inside a corporation, it doesn't matter because basically we're all human. And this is what we're seeking is mm -hmm. more life. So whatever that mean, whatever that means for us, that is generally what we what we want: the happiness, success, mm -hmm. and peace of mind. Yeah, which ties right into his whole point that your your goal pictures that you set for your success mechanism are yours to set. It's up to you, and you can do that by conscious thought. But each it's going to be different for everyone. So whatever more life means to you, you just you feed that into the things that you visualize, the things that you imagine, it starts to affect where you go. So I'm curious, um, so you read this, uh, you're feeling blah, which is, I, I feel like that's probably how I would probably go to, uh, if I had a, a loss like that, I, I would tend to probably go on that side. I can't, I can't envision me having like an inrush of energy that, that makes me want to do everything. I would totally be on the side of not doing one thing to do anything. So 
What were some of the, I don't know, maybe first practical steps that you took to kind of get back into the groove? I think um, I'm looking down here at my notes. So he said that presenting our creative mechanism with success goals or when we present our creative mechanism with success goals, it can function as a success mechanism. And basically, I think that's about clarifying what it is we want in the first place. And then feeling this sense of confidence and surety that we can make it to that. Uh, Mm -hmm. The other thing he talks about is being mindful and that we can, that we can actually work unconsciously towards goals that we choose. Um, We can work toward goals that we unconsciously choose or towards one that we consciously choose. So if we unconsciously choose a goal, it could actually be a goal that's not something we really want I think that's what he means by that. But correct yeah. me if you have a, if you have another viewpoint. I'm open to that. Um, but like you know, we might think, oh, we're not going to make it, or oh, I can't run the marathon. I've never run a marathon before. Whatever it is, that we can then make that true because we won't. I'll just use the marathon as an example. We won't eat the right way that we need to be eating to prepare our muscles for the marathon, or we might not do the training if we think, oh, I'm not going to make it anyway. So then, through these different actions that are caused by what we think about what we can accomplish, we begin to make that a reality. So I think, you know, when we hear people say thoughts become reality, I think that's what that means is that if we think we can succeed, then we're going to put in the time, the training, we're going to make sure we drink adequate water, take in adequate nutrition so that we can train well, so that we can be ready for that marathon. Mm -hmm. Are you a marathon runner? I'm not. I just like no? the example. Yeah, good, good example. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, like it, it sounds very detailed. Uh, so I was curious. Let's take a quick break from the conversation. Are you interested in running a podcast like this? Then check out our done for you service and grab a 15 minute podcast brainstorm call. We'll talk through your podcast idea and the business behind it. So you'll know exactly how a podcast can attract ideal clients and bring you five to 10 X return. Schedule your call today at pursuingresults.com. And now let's jump back into the conversation. So is there anything else now looking back on it? So it obviously it was a, it was an internal change. Um, what effects did you start to see in your life and your business as you, as you applied those things? Was it more of an internal, did you get some of that confidence that, um, that changing the goal pictures and just kind of moving forward is going to get you to where you want to go a little bit of that, that surety that he mentions, did you, did you feel that? Did that start to show up? Um, or was there anything else that you noticed about what happened when you started to apply those things? Yeah, I think part of it is about becoming clear. I know I work with a lot of people who aren't clear on what they want to write about or clear on their message. And so clarity is usually the first clarifying things, clarifying the message and so on. is usually the first step I work on with people. And I think I needed it way back when that's what I needed to. And I actually think we need that throughout our lives. You know, I might be clear today, but I might need more clarity in six months because we're always evolving as humans, right? So as I began to apply more of what he talked about, I felt like it gave me a, a, a structure and to a certain extent, a strategy for being able to know what to do going forward, both with my hmm. business life and my personal life. Interesting. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into maybe some selfish questions because you alluded, uh, you referenced the, um, the clarity. So when you work with a new client, um, what are some of the things that hold them back from clarity? I think that 
self-doubt that shows up as questions and some of those, like we might not call it self-doubt or we might not even know it's self-doubt, but we'll have these questions that come up either that we're asking ourselves or that come externally if we share our dream of writing with someone else. And it can sound like, who are you to write about this? Or, you know, who am I to write about this if we're asking ourselves? Um, Sometimes people will say, well, you're not going to be insert name of famous writer. So why even bother? You're not going to be Ernest Hemingway, J.K. Rowling, you know, whatever person who's a well-known writer of that time period. So why even bother? And I think that that's sad when that happens if people listen to it. So actually in my SOS show just today, I was talking about this very topic of not letting those voices stop us. Instead, um, as an action step or to give someone something that they could do would be to write a couple paragraphs about what you want to write about. And don't tell anyone you're going to do it. Don't ask anyone's opinion. This is just between you and the paper, you and the words. That's all, that's all that it needs to be. And just write down what you want to write about. And then take some time, maybe look back at it after a couple of days and see if you see anything interesting there. Is there something that you want to pursue? Is there, are you finding it interesting? And I'm not asking anyone to look at the quality of the writing. This isn't about writing well at this point. This is about getting the ideas out and recognizing that they might be messy at this stage. And if the writing is good, then you are a very unusual person because for most people, it's just not going to be good. And that's fine. We're not, we're not aiming for that. So it's more about looking at it for the ideas and seeing, is there a, is there a little gem here? Is there a kernel of an idea that I might explore? Could I pair this idea with some other things I've been thinking about or that I've come across in my reading and then create something new out of that? Yes, I love it. Uh, it's, it, I have find myself having to do a lot of the same things when we launch a podcast. It's a very similar structured process of trying to get at what is the most, the single most compelling idea in their entire point of view. And, and that's what I would prefer. Like if we were to put a podcast into the world, I'd prefer it to be hanging on and based around that single most compelling idea, like the most surprising, maybe controversial um, but at least the most surprising, startling, interesting thing that I can draw out of their head, basically. Um, and it is, you can you can draw it out with writing. You can draw it out. Some people are are speak to think, so it comes out better in conversation. So having a, having a coach can be super helpful. Uh, I tend to be, like, I'm more on the introverted side. So writing actually works really well for me and, and probably for a lot of your clients. Uh, it's true, too. So writing is a great way. Like, writing does pull those ideas out of us in some cases. But everybody's different. Um but somehow you got to get those ideas out into a forum. And then, like you said, put a, either put some time and distance between it and you look at it, or maybe you have a coach that looks at it with you and goes, okay, great. Here's the kernel of the idea that sticks out to me that I think is the most surprising. So I find myself doing a lot of that with, with our clients too. Um, in terms of books, uh, so I, I have a theory. Um, I would say typically, like, like if you look at the books that are the most impactful, I mean, Psycho-Cybernetics is a, you know, 240-page book. It could have easily been half the size and just mm-hmm. as impactful, right? And there's a lot of books that you could say that. And then you've got books that are insanely impactful over the centuries, like like Mac- Machiavelli's The Prince, for example. They're actually super short. Or even like Adam Smith's Theory of Moral Sentiments or something like that is actually not that long. Um, what's your feeling on that? Because to me, there's if you want to get traditionally published, you have to... 
hit kind of what they're looking for. But if you wanted to write a really impactful book, I find a lot of times you don't need all that bulk. So how do you bridge that gap of writing something that's really based around one good idea, makes the impact and then kind of gets out of the way, but still hitting what publishers are looking for? Yeah, that's a great, that's a really great question. I think it's kind of, I think it's about knowing both of your audiences. You have the audience who will be reading the book and then you have the audience of the publisher who wants to make money on the book. Mm. And so the publisher will be looking at it in a lot of different ways. One, of course, is what do we think about the content? Uh, the second, which is probably actually the first, is can we sell this thing? Right. Will people buy it? Because they need, yeah. you know, every time an editor goes into a meeting, um, they're not, editors do read the books at, you know, when they work at publishers, they do read the books, but they also are thinking about if I lose money, that's not going to look good to my boss. So that's a big concern for people. And it's yeah. just like any other organization, it needs to make money to, to survive. So I think that in order to um, increase the chances of that happening, of the book getting accepted, of the book selling, it's really important to think about how it will be received by people. And whether it's you know 80 pages, 120, 250 pages, that's not quite the important thing. It's more about how it's going to be received by that particular audience, because if it is useful material that someone can benefit from, they'll read a longer book. Like one example would be, um, there are a number of books inside the uh, retirement financial planning um, genre, I'll call it. And some of those are longer, but they're taking people through different pieces, like from the very basic, like, you know, that old advice of like, don't drink at Starbucks every day because it's $7, you could be investing. You know, some people that that's considered somewhat basic knowledge, but it'll take them through that, through how to invest everything. And um, people at a certain stage will need that information. If you were a little bit further along and you didn't need the basic information, then mm -hmm. any 100 pages will be too long for you because you don't even need that book. Then I've seen some that are way shorter and they're more artistic in nature, like books about creativity. Sometimes yes. they're by people who have experiences drawing or cartooning. I've seen a number of these and they can sort of get away with a shorter book because of their ability with the cartoons to really draw people in. And those are great books to buy and even um, return to over and over again, and people sort of open them up for bits of inspiration. So knowing how people are going to use the book, are they going to sit down and go through it step by step? Um, like yeah, I worked yeah. on one, The Music of Business, people will probably go through that and use it step by step. Um, I should say The Business of Music. I said it Yeah, the Music way. Management. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so it's, a, it's about knowing how the audience will use it as well. Yeah, that's a really good point, because I think a lot of uh, a lot of my clients or, and a lot of my friends would be on the side of probably not writing a how-to book that you'd sit down and follow and read every single chapter and then try to apply it and come back to it and come back to it. Mm -hmm. They'd be writing something they, that they want to get an idea into the world and they just want that idea to take off. And sometimes I think the shorter books are, are better delivery methods for that one book. Um, now you've got exceptions like, you know, Simon Sinek, Start With Why, that put that idea into the world in a big way. And it was, you know, 200 plus pages, you know, so you, you've definitely got exceptions to the rule, but it is an interesting thing. Um, easily those books could be about half the size and still be just as impactful from a reading experience. The question is, does the publisher believe in it enough to put it on the shelves, which that's always, you know, an interesting thing to try to try to ride that balance. Okay. So I want you to tell people a little bit about who your, um, 
like who who's listening, when should they reach out to you? Uh, we have a good idea of, of why and who. So just tell us like when when do you like to start working with people? You know, uh, early in the process, late in the process, first book, 17th book, who knows? Uh, and then how do they reach out and connect? I've worked with leaders who are writing their first book and have absolutely nothing and we start from zero. And I've worked with people who might have an outline or a few pages written. And I've also worked with people who've published nine books before. So, um, so really any stage of the process that they're at, you know, they might have, they might have written part of it and become stuck. So mm-hmm. I've helped people get unstuck or sometimes they've worked with a, a ghostwriter or an editor before and it didn't work out or they felt like the ghostwriter didn't capture their voice or, or maybe they just gave up on it for some reason because something came up and now they've lost touch with that person. So sometimes I'll help people uh, resuscitate books in progress as well. Um, so that they can, they can finish and have that book in their hands. Love it. And then where people go to connect? Um, they can come to my website, which is radiantmedialabs.com. And I host a monthly roundtable, which people are invited to come to. It's on the third Wednesdays of the month. Okay. All right. So that's something they can jump into for free and actually talk, talk over the, what the book writing process or what are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. We focus on writing. Um, it could be writing a book, writing a blog, um, articles for publication, just anything that someone could think of writing. Um, we talk about it, uh, at some point. <laughs> awesome. And then you're also doing some live content on LinkedIn. So you're very easy to find there because you have a unique name. So people should look up, uh, look up you there and connect, uh, and keep an eye out for all the content that you put out. So once again, Deborah, I really appreciate it. That was a really fun conversation about one of my favorite books. And I'm always, uh, I'm always, anxious and excited to pick the brains of people who are in book publishing and book coaching and things like that, because it's a fascinating thing to me. Um, I, I will be writing books, hopefully for the rest of my life. Uh, I love it. I love the business. Um, and I know a lot of my my clients and friends kind of feel that same way. If they haven't already, it's only a matter of time until they write one. So we're all passionate about putting ideas into the world and making an impact. So uh, once again, appreciate you being here. And thanks so much for your, your time. and with me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for rating and reviewing the show. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other entrepreneurs and experts. Every time you share the show, you're putting life-changing ideas into someone's life. Now to get the micro-famous field report that helps you turn your expertise into a lifestyle business without spending all day on social media, go to microfamous.substack.com and enter your email to access it for free. That's where you get all my podcast episodes, articles, sketches, videos, everything goes into the microfamous field report. So go to Substack, sign up for that today so you get that and stay tuned for the next episode of One Book That Changed My Life. We'll see you there.